everybody. Welcome to Awaken Podcast. This is your host, Michael Lombardo from Life Poured Out International. If you want to find out more about our ministry, you can go to www.lifepouredoutintl.org. You can go on YouTube, check out a lot of our um, videos. Uh, we have a lot of free content on YouTube. Um, we I used to do a lot of live interview shows with Anna Warner and uh, John and Carol Arnott. And we got a lot of incredible content out there for you guys to glean from and learn from. You can also co- get, get that on our website as well as on social media. Just look up Michael Lombardo on Facebook as well as on Instagram and all of that should pop up for you. I am very excited about my guest here on the show. He has such a pure heart after God. Before we get into the actual meat of the show and, and and get my guest on here today. I always share a scripture that is on my heart. And so I want to, I want to open this up as I was praying about this broadcast, this scripture just, just kept swirling in my spirit and it's Ephesians one uh, verse five and six. And it goes like this in love. He, the Lord predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one Jesus he loves. This scripture resonates so deeply in my spirit. He predestined us in his love to adopt us as his sons and his daughters through Jesus Christ. It was according to his pleasure, his will. He desired to live with us. He desired to father us. He desired for us to be in his family. He was the one who did it. It was it was in his mind from the beginning. And it's to the praise and the glory of his grace, his mercy that is cascaded over us and poured out on us, which he freely gave us. We do not have to earn it. We do not have to deserve it. We don't have to strive for it. It's a gift of God in Christ Jesus that we receive by grace through faith. And we are in his beloved son, Jesus, standing in his perfection, in his righteousness. And I know that we're going to tackle this um, in the broadcast here today. We're going to get deeper into the subject. And so um, I just, man, the Lord has overwhelmed me with his love, has spoken his love into my heart, has spoken identity into me. And that's actually what has freed me up to live a holy life in Jesus Christ. And so we're we're, we're, we're going to dive into this. And my guest today, his name is Leif Hetfield, um, Hetland, excuse me. He is the president and founder of Global Mission Awareness. He's also a husband, father, author, and international speaker. Leif is known for his transformative teachings on the love of God and his unique calling to Pakistan and the Middle East. He's going to share a little bit about that as well at the end of the broadcast. And he spends nearly half of his travel schedule teaching in first world countries, raising up a missions force and spreading the mission virus. I love that. And the rest of his time is spent in second and third world countries, bringing the light of Jesus to the mission field and Leif's teachings and resources uh, call sons and daughters out of orphan mentalities into thinking like a kingdom family. This is so essential. And he's, he's written many books, but the one that we're going to dive into today is called called to reign living and loving from a place of rest. Thank you so much Leif for joining me on the broadcast today. Oh, it's my joy. <laughs> it's good to hear your voice, Michael, and I'm very, very excited. Uh, just uh, even hearing the scripture verse you you share with me, I could already feel that my heart was just, uh, yeah, it's already getting full and overwhelmed <laughs> by love. And whatever overwhelms us shapes us. So I'm getting shaped by love this morning. Amen. Amen. And I just pray that everybody that is listening to this broadcast just encounters the love of the Father, the grace of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit during this broadcast here today. 
And one of the one of the things that I love, Leif, when I have my guests on the show, I know you encounter the Lord dramatically. You were marked by Him. Um, you serve Him radically. You know, your life is for Him. And so, how did this how did this start for you? Like, I always love hearing encounter stories um, from my guests. How did you first encounter the Lord? Well, it goes kind of far back, but I'm from Norway. So when people are listening to my accent, it is a southern accent, and that's the reason mm-hmm. is I'm from the southwest part of Norway. But uh, we live in Atlanta. But as I grew up in Norway, uh, there was a lot of religion. I came from a, a, yeah. a pretty religious background. And when I was about 12 years old, pretty much ended up as a prodigal son. And for the next five years, ended up in addiction, got radically saved, met Jesus that saved me, healed me, delivered me. So that was probably the first encounter, having an encounter with Jesus. And then to make a short story, um, I went from being a prodigal son to be a prodigal brother. So I went from rebellion to religion without even realizing it now because of everything that Jesus has done for me, I'm going to serve him. And what I didn't know was for the next season of my life, I started to live for God because I didn't know how to live from God. And I learned to be an achiever because that's how you got value. And I didn't realize I still operated from an orphan heart, uh, fear-based, just wanted to please God. After what Jesus has done for me, I just wanted to please him in every way. But it didn't matter how much I did, there was always more. And then make that story short where I went to Bible college, seminary, youth pastor, eventually became a senior pastor, got married and pretty much went through everything that you needed to to be both successful. But it was still something missing. And I, I was a Southern Baptist and I pastored a Baptist church in Norway. So the one major encounter that happened after my salvation was June 6, 1995. So this is, a, this is almost a year and a half after Toronto. And yeah. I was influenced by Toronto in January 94 and a few times. But still, we, we, we just had a couple of funerals, and especially one of my deacons in my Baptist church when he died. Uh, my desperation level was greater than my fear level. And part of the reason was just that uh, I lowered my expectancy because of the pain and disappointments. Because I still remember those funerals when I stood there with Amar was his name and his family. And when he died and I had a funeral, they was like, why did God let that happen? Yeah. I thought God was going to heal him. So I prayed for sick people, but I just didn't believe it was going to happen. <laughs> God could. He is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants to, but I didn't expect. So this led to so much of this hope deferred that makes your heart sick. So the year before this encounter, I was just getting drier and drier, and I saw very little. And uh, we had another person with cancer, and I just kind of wept because I just realized there's nothing I can do about it. It's like he can win the lottery, but that was kind of a thing. And then I heard that Randy Clark was coming to my little town, and my wife and myself decided we're going to attend. And this kind of was one of those, it totally transformed my life. And it's one of those stories. So June 6, 1995, I still remember when Randy and the leadership gathering in the morning was sharing his testimony, his story. Something on the inside of me realized there is more. There's there's something that I'm about to receive. And I stood in line there with the Salvation Army, the Lutheran, the Methodist, the Pentecostal. And here I am, the Baptist pastor. And Randy went down and I'm glad that he had a little bit of the yeah, liberal Baptist background, but also the vineyard, because it was kind of a kind, gentle, nice. Sure. He just like touch him, fill him. He didn't even touch people. But everyone went down to the floor. And then he came to me and he's like, you are a bulldozer. 
And I'm thinking, no, I'm a, I'm a Baptist pastor. <laughs> and I didn't know much about prophecy. And he just sure. started to look at me. I see you going into the darkest places in the world where the gospel has never been before. And I'm seeing you're making a way. There was no way. And I see this big light and thousands of people are following after you. And in the next moment, electricity went through my body and wow. then fire and electricity. I was on the floor and it was fire. I was so sweaty, burning up. And then it was electricity power. And I didn't know a language that was both the baptism of the Holy Spirit and baptism of fire. And it totally changed this Baptist pastor's life. And to make that story short, within a half a yeah, yeah, week afterwards, another prophet came up and says, I see you as a bulldozer. You're going to see a million Muslims saved. And I'm like, I don't know one single Muslim. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even love Muslims. Sure. So it was like totally paradox, but I knew it was connected to the word that Randy Clark had given the week before. And things started to change. People started to get healed in my Baptist church. Jesus started to show up. Uh, but it, it also started and lead me towards going into the darkest places. So that was one of the major encounters. And then we moved back to the States. And in December of 2000, I had another encounter, which I call my baptism of love. And that totally transformed me from an orphan mentality, an orphan heart living for God, to become a beloved son. The liquid love went into my mother's womb and healed that baby that was there while my mom had surgery. It healed that 12-year-old boy that experiencing abuse. And waves of liquid love just came over me in Melbourne, Florida, at Holiday Inn. I was there with Jack Taylor, who became my spiritual papa. And just mm -hmm. during that, my life was totally transformed. And suddenly I started to love what God loves, uh, love the world. I started to love Muslims. And I'd seen a half a million people saved, over 300,000 people healed from 95 to year 2000, been to 54 countries. But I did all of that as an orphan. And then wow. everything changed in 2000. And there's been other encounters since, but those are the two most dramatic encounters in my life that still today, after all these years, it shaped me, it changed me, transformed me. And transform people, transforms people. And That's so right. I just... Uh, I'm so, so grateful that uh, that God in his grace, in his mercy, just uh, the very verses that you read, that I was predestined in love. And he brought me back into that ocean of love so that instead of struggling with sin management, I could actually focusing on glory management. Absolutely. So it was just a whole different way of living and loving. Absolutely. That's amazing. And I just love, we had, we had Will Hart on the show and he spoke about the power of impartation, how the Lord set him up in, in several, you know, several times and in instances in his life where he just got rocked by the Holy Spirit and he got up a different person yeah. and, you know, <laughs> mo moved in power that he hasn't, you know, that, that he didn't move in previously. And I've had several encounters, one specifically at Christ for the Nations in Bible school where Cindy Jacobs called the people, um, that were passionate for missions when they laid their life down for missions and, so many students came to the front and she was laying hands on people on stage, but there was, I was in the crowd and no one laid hands on me. No one touched me, but I began to feel, um, currents of electricity in my hands and it started to go up my legs and in my chest. And I remember thinking, I'm going to fall down. I'm going to hurt, I'm going to hurt myself. I like just logically, I was just trying to process what was going on. My friend was behind me. I said, man, just catch me. And I remember I opened up my heart. I said, Lord, whatever you want to do, I just opened up my heart instead of closing my heart to the encounter and I fell backwards and I was on the floor. And in that moment of feeling the power of God, it wasn't just a feeling, it wasn't just goosebumps, it wasn't just a divine encounter, but the Lord began to speak to me 
about very specific words of identity and purpose, what, you know, what, who I am, what he's called me to do. And it was a life changing encounter. I just love how the Lord sets us up and gives us encounters like this mm. that catapult us forward. But I really, what's, what's unique. And I absolutely love this is that the Lord, he does different things at different times in our life, how you had that encounter and how you traveled across the world, preaching the gospel, seeing people saved, healed, delivered, set free. And you were operating in the anointing and you had times of experiencing, obviously intimacy in the presence of the Lord. You were walking with the Lord. Um, and you were doing the work of the kingdom, but then a year later, you experienced the love of God in a way that completely set you free. And you were in a hotel of all places. Like it doesn't even it doesn't matter where you are. God's going to touch you, and He's going to get you. But how did how did that happen? Was there a hunger in your heart for more? What what led to that encounter of God's liquid love? Because for me personally, I was in that same place of I was on fire for God the second I got saved. Drug addiction fell off of me. And um, you know, all these addictions broke off of me and I was on fire for God serving the Lord. And at the same time, I was very performance oriented. I was up and down. If I was praying and reading my Bible and evangelizing, then I was on cloud nine experiencing his presence, you know, and his anointing. But if I didn't get up early that day or didn't pray an hour in the spirit like Smith Wigglesworth or I didn't, you know, I was beating myself up, feeling hopeless, like, yeah, how could God use me? And I had to go through several encounters where God showed me his love. And so how, what, what was going on in your heart that kind of set you up for that encounter? Yeah, it was five years from from the time of my baptism of power and fire to my baptism of love. But what happened was first, uh, right after the encounter with Randy Clark in 95, I started going into the nations. But it was also incredible attacks that came against me. So it started when I had a compression fracture as somebody attacked me and I destroyed my neck. Wow. August 2nd, 1998, there was a car accident. Where for the next year, I spent nine months in a body cast. I broke my back, ribs, leg, all these surgery. Ended up with 10 major surgeries throughout my body. And just so there was attack after attack. So when I'm saying the fruits and the result is one side, but the other side was, it seems like hell was very nervous about mm. the light that, that was in me. And, and of course, I was on the front line. So what I didn't know when you're a bulldozer, you're making way, you're hitting things constantly. Sure. Which also hits you. So when you're going into the darkest places, uh, Satan himself is nervous about it. So mm-hmm. part of that was that element. The second was just also, so all the attack, I was very strong in 95 before these accidents, black belt, stayed in shape, physically, spiritually. I mean, I, I could do all things. Yeah. Uh, by the year 2000, through all the physical opiates, surgeries, we got kicked out of the denomination, the ministry, everything was just like attack after attack mm-hmm. after attack that led to a major brokenness, where eventually, I still remember one day I was in Disney World where I just I thought, I, I don't know if I can continue anymore. I was sitting in a wheelchair and just after another surgery and didn't know if I'm going to walk, but I had these words over my life and it looks like all of my dreams are dying. And but in the middle of that, I, my little baby girl, Catherine at the time, we had four children and so I was not able to do anything. I cannot be the man of God I'm supposed to be or not the husband, not the father. I was failing in every area. Yeah. And I'd seen a lot of fruits, but still I eventually came to total, total brokenness. Mm. And then eventually that led to this thing where I was invited to come to this father and son event with and my spiritual papa today, Jack Taylor, and a small group of leaders was there. So I think that my own brokenness were I had done everything that I could to live for God, but that was not enough because the whole orphan system in me is that I have to do something 
to have something, to become something. And since my value system is what I do, because that's how you get value in the orphan mm. world. That's how you get praise, you get affirmation, you get love, you get... And when you're not able to do anything, which happened to my brokenness, spiritual broken, emotionally broken, physically broken, it was almost like a perfect storm. Everything hit over so long period of time, and I've been on the front line for so long, and then you lost your friends, you lost, you lost pretty much everything. And that set me up for this amazing encounter where Dennis Jernigan, who's a well-known singer, he says, Leif, I have a song for you. And there was 100 guys at Holiday in Hotel in his room. And, he, and it was a father song from Papa God. And I stood there and I was mm-hmm. tough and hard at the time, but now this liquid love just came over me. And I'd read about D.L. Moody, so I'm glad I had a reference, the transformation in his life. I've read about a guy named Hans Nielsen Hauge, who's both Bill Johnson's favorite reformer of all time, but he was a reformer in Norway. And I'd read about his baptism of love and Charles Finney and even how you're just coming on a train from, from a one mile distance people could feel because his love was touching people and it got converted. So I've read about that in history books as a good evangelical, but I had never experienced it before that day. And the only thing, there was an audible voice after two hours of liquid love that came in and says, Leif, Leif, you're my, and you're my beloved. You're my beloved son. I love you, Leif, and I am well pleased with you. Mm. I love you, I like you, I delight in you, and you are my happy thought. This audible voice just affirmed me. And it was almost like an incredible freedom, to put it in a simple way, whom the sun set free is free indeed. It was actually sonship came in, love went in, took away all fear. Sonship moved in and the orphan moved out. I got a heart of a sonship that just says, Abba, Father. It was that spirit of adoption where I was actually brought in. And since that day, life has not been easy, but God has been good. I have not questioned one single moment since that day that I have a good, good father and I'm loved by him. And the value system now is not what I do. It is who I am. Uh, so I, it was just such a freedom. I'm like, I'm a son. I'm a son. My <laughs> yes. father's already well pleased with me. I already have an A plus before I take the exam. Uh, I cannot go back to the old way of living from measure when I can live from fullness. Come and on. it's been a journey. And it's been, <laughs> it's been a lot of things that I've gone through since. I mean, I've had many encounters, but also many other attacks and hits, especially what I'm doing around the world. So anyway, but in the middle of it, when I wake up in the morning, I got an A+. Plus. <laughs> I wake up in the morning with both a robe and a ring. That's right. The robe gets me to heaven, but the ring brings heaven to me. And it is that ring, the signature ring of sonship. I'm a son with a dove, and I don't need to live with visitation. Before, I had visitation of the dove, and the anointing came, and the glory came, and and then I live with pigeons the rest of the week. <laughs> <laughs> and why would you want to have pigeon religion when you can have the dove? Now it's more, now and then the pigeon visit, but that's not who I am. I go right back to sonship and the dove always rests upon me. So when there is rest on the inside, you're becoming a resting place of the dove, the Holy Spirit on the outside. And that's where the power and the glory and wisdom, everything flows from that resting place. It was a transformation of this high achieving extrovert Norwegian go-getter, Viking, bulldozer, (laughs) giant slayers, all those to suddenly because, oh, I'm a son. 
And all these other ships got shipwrecked, including my apostleship, leadership, friendship. Every ship went shipwrecked, but the one that survived was some ship. And when I have some ship, all these other ships can follow that ship. <laughs> For me, I, I love your story because it, it it just resonates with him because it relates to my story a lot. Because when I got when I got in when I got saved at 19 years old, I'm 32 now. But at 19 years old, when I got saved, I encountered the love of God. I felt His acceptance. I felt his embrace and I left that room a completely different person, but I still had this paradigm that God loved me, but he didn't always like me. And, you know, my parents were really, really incredible at loving me through my mess, loving me through my rebellion, never wavering in their pursuit of me, never wavering in, you know, I always knew that they, that they loved me, but I did see the disappointment in their eyes. I did see the fear. I did see the struggle, you know, when I did mess up. And so I feel like that carried into my my natural walk where I just felt like, man, if I wasn't walking exactly like the scripture says, or, you know, I had all these ambitions. I was reading books by Smith Wigglesworth and John G. Lake and Catherine Coleman and God's generals. And God spoke to me about ministering to the multitudes. And if I wasn't in alignment with living how I thought I should live, then I would beat myself up. And um, the Lord actually spoke to me one time. He said, stop. He said, take the boxing gloves off. And I was like, what do you mean take the boxing gloves off? He goes, he said, he he repeated it again. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, you're beating yourself up. And the more you beat yourself up, the more bruised you become, the more bruised you become, the weaker you are. And you wind up stumbling and falling into, you know, um, old false comforts of sin. And the Lord just told me, he goes, son, I don't just love you. I like you. And I had, I had several, um, I was going through the song of songs and the language in the Song of Songs spoke to my heart, how his banner over me, his love, and that he sees me blameless and perfect. And I remember just feeling the love of the Lord like a wave crashing over my heart. And I saw a vision of the face of Jesus. And so many people, when they think of Jesus or envision his face, they, you know, they think of cathedrals and, you know, Catholic paintings where he's the man of many sorrows and he's You know, he looks almost like disappointed or disgruntled or even just emotionless. And we have this view of Jesus, but I had this visionary encounter where I saw the face of Jesus and it was just a smile over me, a blissful Mm -hmm. smile over me. And it, it literally permeated my heart. It was like a picture on my heart for weeks. And, um, instead of feeling like I need to go to the prayer room every morning and pray in tongues. And I, I, I love praying in tongues. I love spending time with the Lord in his presence. But there were some days I would just strive for an hour, two hours. I wouldn't feel anything. I wouldn't get any revelation from the word. And there were some days where it was easy and I would just walk in the, you know, walk in and get revelation. And it was with the Lord. But it was I, I stepped into something where all I needed to say was daddy. All I needed to say was Jesus. Yeah. Just one look, just one, you know, moment of turning my heart, my attention, and affection to him. And then his presence just manifested so sweetly i just learned to live from that place of rest and i kept getting this word about rest from prophets and people kept pulling me to the side saying you're a warrior the lord's called you um but the lord wants you to rest and i didn't understand what that meant and i struggled with that word until i began to really it took it was time it was gradual too it took a period of a couple years for me to really step into my identity as a son and know, you know, his affection towards me. I went from hungering for the Lord to knowing he hungers for me. Everything was, I got to go after the Lord. And I realized he goes after me. You know, I, my, my mindset began to shift. And I love that you talk about being, having, and doing, and even the three chair analogy about living from that place of sonship. And I would love for you to share that because this is something the Lord has, has brought me through. And I believe the church needs to hear this. Yeah, I think that uh, what I like to do is to provide language 
So when we're describing something, so when people are hearing it, so they, uh, for me, it's very helpful when people can also see it. Yes. So when you talked about your own journey, which is actually just from chair two to one and way of doing it. So what you also were describing when I'm using my chairs, when you just shared your story right now, I can see the picture of you going in and out of chair one and two. So you say, well, I had moments in chair one and then I got in chair two and felt I had to do all these things. And oh, then I had a visitation in, in chair one. So the best way I can describe it is there's three chairs that is in the front of the people that are listening. And I will name one chair would be chair number one. The next one is chair two, and then it's chair three. Each one of those three chairs represents a person that is out there. It represents the listener. It represents me. It represents you, Michael. So we're either living our life from chair number one, chair number two, or chair number three. So if you're saying chair number one, chair number one is all about the kingdom of God. Chair number two is actually about the kingdom of self, while chair number three is about the kingdom of the world. So the people that are living in chair number one, they are saved. Also in chair number two, they are saved. And I know some people would discuss that with me, but in my sermon, they are saved. And I often tell other people, if, they, if you want them to be lost, they can be lost. But in my sermon, they are saved. Mm-hmm. And But the chair number three, there is there the majority of the world's population lost. The majority of America is lost in chair number three, sometimes by the world. If you're in chair number one, and here is what we are seeing, the very thing we talked about here, Michael, the people in chair number one is always rooted and grounded in love, Ephesians 3.14. The people in chair number one, as I'm saying, the root system and the foundation of how they are living and loving is from a loving place. Their view of God, the view of themselves, the view of the world, and the view of the future is with the lenses of love, a God that loves this world so much. Mm-hmm. that he would give his only begotten son. Yes. In chapter one, when I'm there in chapter one, this is my resting place. That's where I find my identity from rest, not towards rest. So the worldview of somebody in chapter one is that I am. And because of who I am, I am a son. Because of who I am, I have. The father says, all that I have is yours. So everything is available to me. Everything that Jesus paid for is mine. He took my sin. Now I'm righteous. He took my shame. Now I'm glorified. He took my sickness and disease. By his stripes, I'm healed. He actually became an orphan so that I could be a son and people could be a son and daughter. Mm -hmm. He actually was separated from perfect love for a moment so we could be restored back to that Perfect love. So chair number one, Jesus always lived from chair number one. He always operated from chair number one. All he did what he was seeing his father do. All he said is what he heard his father said. But he lived. He was a son with a dove. He was an anointed son and an anointed daughter. That's the picture of that lifestyle of chair number one. It is the identity. It comes all from identity. So when you ask people if they're in chair number one, who are you? And they can be a school teacher, they can be a pastor, they can be an apostle, they can be, but their identity is, I'm an anointed son, I'm an anointed daughter that runs a business or pastor in the church or lead a ministry, but that's the secondary. It's not, my identity is not what I do. My identity is who I am. So identity, out of the identity, you will find the people in chair number one, because they find rest in their identity is that intimacy. They are connected to God. There's this connection to people. You feel that connection, the oneness that is there, this abiding thing, intimacy. And out of the intimacy and the identity, 
they're living from inheritance in Chernobyl, not towards it, but from. So they have access to everything that the Holy Spirit has. So they are living from that place. I know who I am. I know where I am. I know what I have. And then they also have stepped into their destiny, their uniqueness, their special sauce. So that's the four primary things, the four legs in Genoble 1, is identity, intimacy, inheritance, and destiny. I am, and because of who I am, I have, and because of what I have, I do. Where 93% of the believers are in Genoble 2, it's a little bit different. Genoble 2, when I'm there, I am pretty much restless. Uh, I feel I have to do something, because if I do, I have, and if I have, I become. If you go into the root system of Chernobyl 2, it's actually fear. And often out of the fear, there's shame and guilt that the enemy is using. You never do enough. So if you do more, you have more, you become more. Here it's more operating, more like orphan instead of sons and daughters. You maybe have a beautiful house, but you don't have a home. You don't have a resting place. Mm. You don't have a place when you can climb up on Papa's lap. It's constantly, and it's the picture you, you described about your life. You said that in a moment when I didn't do enough or didn't pray enough or was not connected, then again, shame comes in. And shame will always tell you who you are not. While in Chernobyl, one, the Father would always tell you who you are. So shame is a liar and fear is a liar. Fear is false evidence is appearing real. But the people then, not because of pain in my life, pain seeks pleasure. So the people in Chernobyl too, would fill that pain with either religion or rebellion. So the sin issues that is coming, that could be pornography, because escapism comes. I'm going to now do something to make me feel good because I feel so bad. Yes. And that makes you even feel worse. And that's where if the enemy can be and keep you in chain number two, he knows that you will be influenced by the world, by chair three. And you do not know how to influence the world. The people in chair number one, they are light. They are soft. They are different. The fruits of their life is full of love, full of joy, full of peace, full of patience. They maybe visit chair two, but they realize that's not who I am. And they live a lifestyle of repentance, meaning just I change the way I think. I get back to chair number one because that's who I am. And they are influenced the world. They don't see how dark the world is because they're carrying the light and light is greater than darkness. They're full of love and the perfect love always casts out the fear that is around them. In chair number one, I don't see how big Goliath is. I see how big God is. In Chernobyl 2, I'm being overwhelmed by this world and by the circumstances, and whatever overwhelms you, shapes you. So this is just, I wrote this book called To Reign, to help people to get back into Chernobyl 1. And if they are married, to live a Chernobyl 1 marriage. If there's finances, to start off right with kingdom finances. If they're running a business from a Chernobyl 1, because it's when people are in Chernobyl 1, This is the calling of Jesus. This is the spirit to life. The supernatural is natural. That's when it starts to be fun. I'm not saying it is not difficult, but when the difficulties is there, I'm totally connected to the Father and the Son. And in the middle of the storm, I can have peace. So an hour before I called you, Michael, a tree just blew, knocked into our house, broke the fence of the yard. There's a storm right now going on while I'm talking to you. And we got a hole in our roof. So that was just happening an hour before. If I was in Chernobyl too, all of this is tragedy. And look, this happened to my car. And I get circumstances every day. But when I'm in Chernobyl 1, I'm at peace. I'm at peace in the middle of the storm. And I have authority over the storms that I can rest in. 
<laughs> that is it's powerful. It's a different way of living and wanting. <laughs> 100%. I agree with you 100%. And I love what you said. You said pain seeks pleasure. And that's why I believe there's so many people, like you said, a large portion of the church is living from chair two. That means a large portion of the church is seeking after earthly things, bound to addictions, you know, not not able to walk in full freedom. And I've I, I experienced that in my life when I was struggling in chair two. And scriptures come to me. Like for me, it was it was it was twofold where I really saw freedom, true freedom, because my heart yearned for freedom. We would we would sing songs like whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I remember in Bible school and I remember looking around thinking to myself are we walking in freedom truly because I was I was struggling but on the outside people would view me as this guy's on fire he's doing evangelism he's always in the prayer room like I had a reputation for being spiritual but at the same time I had an internal battle and I remember thinking to myself are we truly walking in freedom and there was two things that truly set me free understanding who I am in Christ getting a revelation of the scripture that I am dead to sin alive in Christ the righteousness of God in Christ a son of God having those encounters with the Lord where he spoke identity into me even when I was you know even when there was much sin grace abounded all the more when I felt like he shouldn't speak approval and pleasure into me at at the times where I feel like I screwed up the worst he came and he loved on me and he told me who I was but at the same time also understanding like in his presence there is fullness of joy when I would experience his Hmm. presence it was greater than any carnal pleasure that this world has to offer and so when we're stuck in chair two and we are filled with shame and guilt and condemnation we seek after inferior pleasure things that will just leave us dying on the inside broken insecure um just it's just a dead end but when we learn to live from chair one we experience the presence of the lord on a regular basis we have 24 7 access to the presence of god through the finished work of christ he tore the veil and we are seated with him in heavenly places and we begin to understand that we live in his presence and it's his presence that brings superior pleasure into our life the joy of the lord the love of god cascading over our heart so that we are complete in him and that everything else just seems inferior everything else is why would i go back to that why would i watch that why would i do that why would i touch that because you're living in a in, in the place that we were destined to live there is no greater joy and and satisfaction than walking with the lord and living in his love and i just when when you spoke that your pain seeks pleasure I, I i know that from my life and i know that so many people in the church are bound and if they can get this revelation and begin to live from chair one they, they would begin to reign in life like you're talking about mm. and uh, it's beautiful to see as i'm saying now i i have so many thousands and thousands of testimony i just share one because i'm sitting in my office i have the call to reign book in front mm-hmm. of me and i'm not here to to try to sell the book, but mm-hmm. I just highly recommend it for sure. people because of it has been a 20-year journey in my life. And now finally, I'm able to provide language that somebody just, just like people hear the podcast, somebody just saw it on Facebook and decided to stop by the office where I'm at in Tyrone, which is south of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And he just decided, let me, oh, let me find out about this ministry. And he saw, I live in Atlanta. So he drove and came into the office. I was not even here. My staff just gave him the book. He read the book. He got so transformed. He didn't even know that chair number one existed. So he certainly now went from chair two to chair one. Mm. Revival broke this in his own life. Wife saw the difference in his life and said, what is the change that has happened with you? Because she has now a chair number one husband. And again, he started to share. She read the book, got transformed. This happened now at his workplace. Revival broke loose at his workplace. 
one after one of them started to get either saved or people that were saved got filled with the Holy Spirit. We had one with ADHD just got healed. Somebody else with opiates addiction got healed. Somebody, a, a soldier from, from uh, Afghanistan that came home, had a lot of back problems, just got healed. But make the story short, just out of that one encounter, 240 books, this guy has just come into the office, get more and more books, <laughs> Great. telling the testimony of life that's being changed. So that's just one. We have another baseball team where pretty much all of the baseball team has got saved. And I had a whole group of them that came up to me in church and said, hey. And it was this guy, the coach, went from being a chair number two coach to become chair number one. And he was so changed that they saw the change in his life. And the players after players started to experiencing the salt and the light in his life that started to affect them where they wanted a Jesus that was so clear and evidence in his life, the Jesus life that he was doing and living. Because in chair number one, it is just, first of all, is to be with Jesus. Then it is to become like Jesus. And then you start to live and love like Jesus. So if so, you will do what you do as Jesus is you in every situation. That's a simplicity that's full of the Spirit, totally resting and abiding that, not trying to live for him, but living from him. Yeah. And when you do that, you're living connected life. And it is now it's been so much fun for me because I'm seeing that that the chair number one lifestyle is changing the Muslim world. I'm seeing how it starts to change marriages, addiction, people. We had one leader in the Middle East from Turkey who had been a missionary. Twelve years he struggled with pornography. And he read a book and was just totally transformed, healed from all of that. A year later, now he shared a testimony and just told us that, I mean, I was changed because in chair number one, that I always went back there when the pain seek pleasure. I went back to pornography. And now he said, I've been free ever since because Great. that's not who I am. Yes. <laughs> I am not there. I'm pure. I'm holy. I'm righteous. I don't do it. It's like so strange to him <laughs> when his roots awesome. changed. Then the fruits changed. The evidence in his life was different. When you change the roots, you change the fruits. That's right. That's right. 100%. And the devil hates this message. And the reason why he <laughs> hates it and the reason why he resists it is because he's absolutely terrified of a believer who begins to catch revelation of this because now we're living from his presence, from his righteousness. We're living in, you know, we're living with that revelation. We begin to walk it out and we can destroy the works of the enemy in a, in a way, you know, in a, in, a, in a greater level. So he's, he's terrified. He, he resists this message and he's been resisting it from the beginning, even in the garden of Eden, mm. where he told Adam and Eve, he said, Hey, if you eat from the fruit of this tree, you'll be like God. They were already just like God. They already had his presence, his fullness. They already had identity. They, there was not no, no lack in them, but he convinced them that, Hey, listen, God's withholding something from you. There's some kind of lack. And if you do this thing, then you will get more of God. And it's just that lie that's been, per it's just been, you know, perpetuated throughout the centuries here. And people are struggling with it to this very day, myself and, and you included. And we have to get free from that religious spirit, from that lie of lack, from that separation mentality. And I just, I just feel in my heart, I want you to share about your ministry in Pakistan, but I just feel in my heart, there's people that are really struggling and they're living from chair two and Leif, I just, I would love for you to pray and minister however you feel led, because I believe this isn't just a podcast. So not, not just something to encourage people, but they will encounter the Lord as they, as they receive and as they listen today. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to just uh, bring a picture from the scripture from Luke 15. Mm -hmm. Because this is kind of the paradigm shift between chair 
1 and 2. Mm-hmm. And Luke 15 starts with this very simple story that there were some religious leader and judicial leaders that were wondering, how could Jesus be the Son of God? Because sinners and tax collectors, Chernobyl three people, they were hanging around Jesus. So they, they couldn't understand this. And then Jesus t- tells the three parables, uh, eventually about the shepherd, then the coin, and then he comes, this father. God is like a father to have these two sons. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about two sinners, but two sons. And then it's about two Chernobyl two sons. One was rebellious, one was religious. But here's the picture. The rebellious, he moved so far away from the father's love that a Jewish boy ended up in a pig pen. But the Bible says very clearly, and that's why before I pray, I want them to capture this one thing that I felt that is going to be transformational. People think he repented, but he didn't. Even in the pig pen, he started to feel sorry for himself and think it is maybe better to come home. And even if I get the basement and the home of the father is better than the pig pen. And so he was not sorry for what he had done, but the consequences is what he saw. So yeah. he's heading home and he's practicing his re- rehearsal speech. And then the Bible says, and here it is, the father was looking. God was looking. The father was looking. Then the father was full of compassion. He was full of love. Then the father was running, not away from him, but towards him. Then the father embraced him. Then the father kissed him. And then genuine repentance took place because it's the goodness and the love of God that leads to repentance. The lie in Chernobyl 2 is that you have to be clean to take a bath. The lie in Chernobyl 2 is that when we are struggling and we have this and that, God has turned away from us because he's a holy God and he cannot handle our messes. And the reason we have that view is because many of us have the view of God that does not look like Jesus. Mm. And that's what God came here. So Jesus is describing a God just like himself. So what I have learned in my life, when I'm in Chernobyl 2, or I'm struggling, and, I, and that happens. I've done it. I have several stories where it just happened, where just recently I was in Chernobyl 2 several times, but I don't live there any longer. It takes just usually a few moments now, and I just, whoops, that's not who I am, and I go right back to Chernobyl 1. Mm-hmm. But here's my view of God is the key here, and that's what I believe that is going to change people as I pray. One of them is when you are messing up, he is not the one that turns away from you. You are the one that turns away from his perfect love. That's right. And the first thing you do is then to repent. Metanoia. You change the way you think. Turn yourself affection towards God because he is looking and he's looking towards you, even in your worst messes. Second of all, he's full of compassion towards you. Yes. Third of all, he's a God that is running towards you, even in your messes. He's one that embraces and the one that is kissing. And I want people to have an experience with a God just like that. That's a God just like Jesus. So, Father, even at this moment, for many people, round after round after round, are struggling with both shame and guilt and fear and how the enemy even has been blackmailing many of you that are out here listening. And I'm just even feeling that the Father, he's there just with tears in his eyes. He said, I want my kids home. I want my sons and daughters home. I don't want them to be out struggling with religion, out on the field, working and striving. I, I miss Don. I want intimacy with him. I, I want him to come home into the living room. I want him to experience my embrace. But the Father is looking at you right now. Capture the eyes of love, the eyes of love. Capturing the compassion and the love of the Father, even at your worst moment. See him now starting to move towards you. 
taking his arms around you, it just takes away all fear, all shame, all guilt. It just frees you. And the father starts to kiss and he's kissing you over and over and over. And he is celebrating that you are coming home. No longer from this very day, you're no longer going to live your life in chair two. Live your life in chair number one, like you have a home where you can see his face, hear his voice, feel his love, and experiencing his presence. So I release at this moment a fresh baptism of love, the liquid love of Papa to go into the deepest root area of your life and let the perfect love now take away all fear. I just bless you. I bless the rest of your life. That's rest on the inside and it is rest on the outside, rest towards the future, the rest of your life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, be whole, because Jesus is the Prince of wholeness in every area of your life. Amen, amen, amen. (laughs) Amen. I just thank you, Lord, for a baptism (laughs) of love, and I just feel like um, I just feel strongly in my heart that right now, just say, Lord, I receive. Daddy, I receive your baptism of love. I receive wisdom and revelation. Open up the eyes of my heart. I'm a willing vessel. I receive this baptism of love. I receive from you, Father. And just tell him, I receive. And, you know, right now you could be experiencing the very power of God in your car, on, in, at the gym, you know, wherever you are, at your home. But maybe you don't feel anything and that's okay. I've prayed many prayers. I've opened up my heart and I've said, God, I receive. And I have yielded my heart, humbled my heart before God. And then weeks later have seen the uh, fruit and the answer to that prayer. And so never lose heart. He is with you. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There is no lack in you. You've received fullness and grace upon grace. He gives his spirit without measure. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are in him seated in the heavenly places. And so just receive it by faith receive by faith and i just know that this is the beginning of something that will transform your the way you see and the way you walk with the lord amen Come on. thank you jesus amen. Amen. thank you lord for that <laughs> and so leif i i am so grateful for you taking this time out and i want people to find out more about your ministry global mission awareness tell us about your ministry what you're doing in the nations and how people can get plugged into your ministry and even any kind of resources that you have they can get a hold of so they could really grow in their walk yeah and i encourage people if they want to stay in touch with me through social media just hashtag leif Hetland. Facebook. Uh, we also have some tools, like we have an e-course. So if they look at Rain in Life Academy, there I have one called Upgrade in Love. So after, if you have a longing for chair number one, I just realized that 90% of the people, when we pray, it comes in a seed format. And my goal is to get that seed of love to become a tree of love in people's life and to take them through that process, how to receive, become, and release love. So this becomes the cycle of the supernatural of receiving, becoming, and releasing. And I'm interviewing Sean Bolts and Heidi Baker and, and David Wagner, uh, other people. How do you receive love? How do you become love? And how do you start to live love out loud? So that's a tool, Rain in Life Academy. And then uh, just some other thing, global mission awareness. We are, we are a kingdom family movement. Even next week, if you live in the Denver area at the Rock Church, Heidi Baker will come in, David Wagner, Jack Taylor, a lot of them from all over the world people are coming in. And this is our family gathering. 
We want everybody to find a place at the family table. We are a kingdom family movement, a family that are on mission, and we want to make it hard for people to go to hell and easy for people to go to heaven. And so Amen. what we do is we, we go all over the world with a love and a life. And it's fun, even as I'm talking to you right now, uh, I just received the National Peace Award by the president of Pakistan in the end of last year. And mm-hmm. it's interesting, it says the ambassador of love, it says Dr. Leif Hatler, ambassador of love. And the reason I just even mentioned that is that when we learn how to love well, even the president, kings, leaders of nation will start to pick up on the language of love that is the language the blind eyes can see and the deaf ears can hear. So it's amazing. It's transforming lives, communities, but also nations. So if people are listening, the book called Terrain is a must. But if they're struggling with the orphan spirit, we have a book called Healing the Orphan Spirit. And Baptism of Love book, Seeing Through Heaven's Eyes, which is just to have the lenses of love. So there are some tools there that the individual can take with them and just kind of contact us or contact you and and, and I'm very, very excited just to start this walk. And we want to see at least a million Chernobyl One believers in the next 10 years. And we have about 100,000 right now, but we're going for a million. That's of right. People that are living from Chernobyl One. Come on. And so, so you're, a you're, million Chernobyl One believers for one billion soul harvest. Yes. Yes. Amen. And so your website is, <laughs> what's the address of your website? Then go to that. It is globalmissionawareness.com. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Glo- globalmissionawareness.com globalmissionawareness.com I'll make sure to put that also um, in in a link here so people can uh, click it and get easy access to your website to find out more about you and I just thank you so much Leif for joining me on the podcast it's a blessing you're, I honor you for just your walk with the Lord the revelation you know your years of experience of serving and doing missions and um, it's it's truly a pleasure for you taking time out of your busy schedule to be with me here today thank you so much thank you so much for having me Michael Appreciate you. (laughs) Absolutely. Have a great day. You too. Thank you for tuning in to Awaken Podcast. Please subscribe, rate the show, leave a review. It will help get this podcast out to more listeners around the globe. You could also tune into Awaken Podcast anywhere good podcasts are listened to. Until next time, bless you guys um, from Life Poured Out International. Really honor you guys, really appreciate you guys, and I'll see you next time.